Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, team. Uh, Our children's ministry is for ages 4 to 12-year-olds, and uh, it's called COGS because they're an integral part of helping us function, uh, and we want to release them, and uh, they can go and follow the orange shirt leaders and uh, be blessed, be encouraged, be inspired as you become followers of Jesus. Uh, The rest of us might like to open our scriptures to uh, Psalm 139 if you have a Bible or we are, all the scriptures that we use will be in the YouVersion Bible app if you've downloaded that and you're able to write notes, uh, save notes, highlight scriptures then you'll be able to use that in your own kind of thinking, uh, reflection throughout the week or in um, life groups throughout the week as well. An invitation is extended today too at the end of the service as we do most weeks that uh, as the final song is being played that uh, people can come forward and receive prayer or make a confession of faith that uh, they know, want to know and declare Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Uh, but if you just want prayer, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you just want prayer or need some help with something, there'll be people here that can assist you with that as well. Um, Judy Garland was uh, born in uh, 1922. Uh, some of us, who, how many people know who Judy Garland is? Okay, that's all right. Uh, she only lived for, she only lived till she was 47. Uh, only lived as old as Andrea is. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> I don't get, that's, that's how old she was when Judy died. I'm not saying Andrew's going to die. But uh, so for 45 and 47 of those years, uh, unlike Andrea, Judy Garland was an actress and a singer, although Andrea is a singer. Um, so, but for 45 or 47 years of her life, Judy Garland was uh, an actress, best known perhaps, you might all know her in other things, but best known perhaps for... Uh, playing Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. The American Film Institute uh, named Judy Garland as one of the ten greatest female stars of classic American cinema. Cinema, not cinnamon, cinema. Um, And she's attributed with saying, always be a first-rate version of yourself instead of a second-rate version of somebody else. Powerful statement. Dramatic statement, bold statement, life-changing statement perhaps, except despite the fact that it sounds Judy Garland was able to say this with so much clarity and strength and courage, it's not one that she was able to participate in with the fullness that she might have hoped with and hoped for. It wasn't as straightforward for her, despite all her resources, despite all her talents, despite all her skills, the overwhelming demand was to measure up. I read this in a a short biography of Judy Garland. The pressures of adolescent um, stardom affected her physical and mental health from the time she was a teenager. Her self-image was influenced and constantly criticised by film executives who believed that she was physically unattractive. 
Those same executives manipulated her on-screen physical appearance and into her childhood she was plagued by alcohol and substance abuse as well as financial instability. Her lifelong addiction to drugs and alcohol ultimately led to her death in London at age 47. It's a sad way to think about it. Being a first-rate version of ourselves isn't as simple as making a statement about it, is it? See, what we, most of us, regardless of our story, wherever you've come from, whatever your experience has been, we want our life to count for something. We want to feel like uh, that we've contributed to something bigger than ourselves. We want to feel like that each day we wake up with a sense of purpose, with a sense of intent, and with a sense of revelation, if you like, knowing that we're going to make a difference. And yet, at the same time, we feel like there's a constant um, sense of being measured against the lives of others. And perhaps we've sold ourselves into our lives, and perhaps we've even sold our children into lies as well by telling them that they can do anything that they want. Well, the reality is that they can't. And I can know this because there's no way I'm ever going to be an accountant. I could want that my whole life, but it's never going to happen. And for those of us who know anything about me, you'll understand that while I can add things up and while I have a good picture of reasonable finances, while I can manage a household budget, uh, contribute to the church budget, I'm not going to be an accountant. Um, anyone who knows me will know that I'm never going to be a builder or a landscaper. It's just, I don't know why you'd waste your time, quite frankly, but... Um, I'm not going to be a landscaper because it's not a passion. It's not something that I wake up excited about every day. So we tell our kids on one hand, you can do anything you want. But on the other hand, the reality is we can't. It's just not possible. We love the stories of the underdog. We love the stories of people who achieve things against great odds, who follow through on their passions. But the reality is maybe we would be better to learn ourselves and to teach our children as well to walk in step with God and to discover his purposes as the most fulfilling nature of life. Over the next few weeks, we want to continue the adventure that we've been having throughout this year about discovering our shape. And I want to suggest it's not only about discovering it, but it's about learning to live out of it, to serve out of it, out of the unique way that you have been created, out of the unique way that I have been created, out of the unique way we have been created. And I'm mindful that some of us will be familiar with this series, some of us will be familiar with this story, uh, this teaching. We've heard this before. We hope to do it in a somewhat different dynamic. Um, but other of us, others of us are new to it. So if you've heard of it before, you might be able to encourage others. Be patient. Be a part of the adventure with us. But I want to encourage us too in several things. Uh, we need to take responsibility and ownership for the decisions that we make. It's one thing to sit around and talk about what we once did. That was once. Maybe we can learn some things from it. Maybe things didn't go according to plan. Maybe things didn't happen the way that we imagined. Maybe people disappointed us. Yes, yes, and yes. Probably not even maybe. We can all talk about those stories until the cows come home. But if we really want to move forward in a way that we actually get to contribute and invest in our lives and invest in our community, there's got to be a point where we actually take responsibility and ownership and choose what we will contribute to in a healthy and life-giving way. And if we keep looking in the rear vision mirror or in the past, we crash and burn. It's a simple reality. 
Work in partnership and in conversation. The best things unfold in conversation and in partnership. The church is called the body, the family, for a reason, because it's connected. When we try and do things in isolation, we create disconnection, we actually create more hurt. We need to discern and listen with the heart of God. Um, Regardless of where we are in our faith or what our experience has been in our relationship with God, uh, this is just a truth that we need to discover. If we're struggling to hear God, we need to set ourselves a time and learn again and practice again. And when we used to do it and we've fallen out of the way, then we need to start again. And also we need to see ourselves as made in the image of God, which is the theme that I want to unpack a little bit today. And I want to begin by revealing and reminding us that we are God's masterpiece. These mirrors aren't up here today so that you can do your hair. These mirrors aren't up here so that you can look at yourself, man, I'm good today. Um, These mirrors aren't even up here so you can look at yourself and go, man, I wish I just didn't look like this. These mirrors are up here so that when you look in them, when you notice them, when you're reminded of them, when you see yourself in a mirror, whether that's in your own bathroom at home or in one of these, what you see is a reflection of the character and the heart and the, the, the person of God. I don't know if you've ever taken any time to consider that at all. But I challenge you this week, when you look in your mirror and you're complaining about all the things that you don't like about yourself, Ask yourself how God sees you. And not just about the physical skin deep stuff, but the character, the thought. So let me start. Psalm 139 verses 13 to 16 says, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It is an incredibly powerful text. It's an incredibly powerful text that the more I sit with people, the more I hear of people's stories, the more I hear of people's struggles, one of the most confronting and challenging texts that any single one of us struggles to comprehend or come to terms with. And that is true for people who've been following Jesus for a long time as much as people who don't even know who Jesus is. If we could wrap our heads and our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our lives around this text and live out of this text, it would revolutionise the way that we engaged in relationship with one another, let alone ourselves. And the truth is, I found this personally confronting over the last couple of weeks. I've had a couple of weeks to prepare this message, so it's been personally confronting. This is one of my better photos. Um, uh, Over the last couple of... uh, probably several months, 12 months, uh, I've put on an extra five to eight kilos, kind of around there. Um, So I'm not happy with my weight. Uh, I've got the middle-aged hair growth on my eyebrows happening so that um, I actually went to a hairdresser some time ago and she said, would you like me to cut your eyebrows? Um, You know you're in trouble then. She hasn't quite talked about the ear hairs, but that's okay. Um, I have this incredibly crooked nose Uh, thanks to my father and getting knocked out a couple of times in different uh, events and sports and getting 
uh, belted a couple of things. Uh, my eyes, when I look at them, uh, if I look at myself in the mirror, are a, a, gray, a dull grey colour. It does a little depend on the reflection of the light, um, but generally a grey colour, as is my hair going grey. And this is a real reason why I cut it short, because if I let it grow for any period of length, you can see the grey hairs coming out. Um, I was reminded by uh, someone who, with all the pastoral care and love and compassion and Christ-like love uh, recently that, Simon, we all get older and we're not able to do what we once did. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> I've discovered that coffee over the last couple of months has been affecting my sleep, so I've had to reduce my coffee intake from about four cups down to two cups, and that's all got to happen before lunchtime. Um, Uh, and for those of you who have been asked about this fluff that's on my face, because I'm making a point, this has taken me a week to grow this. Some of you grow it overnight. And just to top it all off, just to top it all off, I have in my head um, the upbringing that, you know, Sunday, you have your Sunday clothes, you have your best presentation. I've still got that deep buried deep down within me, the voice of my mother saying we, we keep our Sunday best for Sunday. And so I've still got a little bit of that. And then I rock up the church, I cross my legs over, and I've got to split down my pants. <laughs> if I am a masterpiece, the standard isn't very high, is it? And yet, this is part of the issue. The masterpiece that we often look at is only skin deep. It's about the first impressions. It's about the trends that come and go. It's about the styles that we believe that somebody else is in front of. It's about how we think everybody else is doing. It's about the comparisons that we place on someone else. If Tim McDonald was here, he's grown this facial hair just from sitting here this morning. And I'd say that if he was here too. So, <clears throat> But we need a shift in how we view a masterpiece. See, we don't see masterpieces, we see comparisons. And somehow, we need to shift that. We need to change that. We can all learn from each other. We can all inspire each other. There's no doubt. But we need to shift our mindset about how we view ourselves. So when we think about masterpiece, we think about a static piece of art that gets hung on a wall too. And when an artist creates a masterpiece, it's generally because they're dead. <laughs> you notice that? No masterpiece is really, truly, fully realised until the artist is dead. And an artist creates a masterpiece either for recognition or access into some organisation, where when God creates a masterpiece, he creates it for relationship. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace, that is an undeserved gift, something that you did nothing for. You have been saved. Saved from what? Saved from ourselves. Saved from the pursuit of what everyone else is doing. Saved from the pursuit of comparison. Saved from the pursuit of measuring up. Saved from the pursuit of not having enough, not being enough. You have saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Look, here's the reality. I don't care 
how financially well off you are, I don't care. How successful you are, I don't care. How great you are in your career, at the end of the day, that all comes to an end. And at the end of the day, just for the other reality, in case you haven't caught up, this body comes to an end. What have you got left? What are you going to pursue in this life that counts for something and adds value to this life that means something and invests in others out of the unique personality, out of the unique shape that you've been created in, out of the unique masterpiece that you are? See, part of our struggle in this is that we see God dimly, so we see ourselves dimly, so therefore we see each other dimly. But if we discover our shape as we are living in relationship with God and aligning with kingdom purpose, we discover a, great, a greater world, greater possibilities. In his book, uh, Eric Rees writes a book called Shape, Finding and Fulfilling Unique Purpose for Life. Uh, Eric Rees defines the kingdom purpose as your specific contribution to the body of Christ and I would argue to the wider community. I think sometimes we've kind of restricted it and kind of kept it in-house. We actually need to realise and have a much bigger concept that the church and the expression of the church and contributing to the life of the church is about contributing to the wider community that we are a part of as well. Because as a follower of Jesus, as we've talked about, one of the values that we hold, as a follower of Jesus, we are the church when we're in the community. We function as the church in the community. We gather as the church. We don't come to church. Um, we express that. So your specific contribution to the body of Christ and to the wider community within your generation that causes you to totally depend on God and authentically display his love toward others all through the expression of your unique shape. Causes you to totally depend on God. <clears throat> so the next few weeks, uh, we're going to unpack this further. Next week, Jenny Gibson is uh, going to share stories of Cap. You're going to hear from Jenny. Uh, she's going to tell us some of the stories and some of the insights into her work as our debt centre manager with Christians Against Poverty. And you're going to hear a woman who serves and lives out of her shape, out of her unique personality, out of her unique skills that she brings into the life of the church. But to explore our shape uh, is to explore our heart. That is the passions, the God-given passions that you have received. Glenda's going to speak on that in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, it's to recognise the abilities, the God-given abilities that uh, we have received so that we might make an impact not just to build up ourselves, not just for our own kind of sense of self-worth, but for the kingdom of God. And Josh Coe is going to speak on that. Uh, in a few weeks beyond that, or the week after that, sorry, uh, personality, uh, how you are wired to navigate and fulfil your unique kingdom purpose. Linda Oman is going to be speaking on that. Uh, experiences and I think this is, a, this is a powerful one because your past both positive and painful God wants to use those experiences and we often we talk about our past and our past doesn't I want to say to you today that our past uh, doesn't define us it shapes us it doesn't define us and our past Damien's going to talk about our experiences and unpack our experiences. And then to conclude uh, this section, uh, Jared is going to speak on the special abilities that God has given us to share his love 
and serve others in the spiritual gifts. All of that, as we have it there, spells hapes. Um, but we're discovering your shape. Practicalities. The question is, how do we surrender to the master craftsman for his kingdom purposes? And are we willing to surrender to the master craftsman for our kingdom purposes? So many people I speak to, so many people I hear stories from, so many people who tell me stories of other people that they're in contact with. They're tired, they're worn out, they're exhausted, something's not working. What if this could actually give us the energy Uh, motivation and purpose if we're able to have this kind of idea, these concepts to awaken us to new possibilities so that we actually stepped into uh, a new revelation of what God wants to do amongst us, in us and through us. What if we took this seriously? Jeremiah writes uh, in a warning to Israel, in a warning to God's people, but I still think it's uh, a powerful beginning that reminds us, uh, this is what the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, he said, can I not do with you Israel as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. So it's certainly a powerful testimony or a powerful word to a group, a collection of people. But it's just as true to the individuals. Just as true for us sitting here today. uh, Verse 4, the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Broken, damaged, fractured. I don't know how you want to define marred. Maybe it's not pure. Maybe it's been uh, through absolute hell. I want to say to you today, if you're sitting here thinking that you're marred, you're too damaged, God has the capacity and the desire to continue moulding you. Isaiah writes, Yet you, Lord, are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Paul writes in uh, Corinthians to the Corinthian church, Now to each one is the manifestation uh, of the Spirit is given for the common good. The manifestation is to display the appearance, the outworking. What will happen to each one of us is given the display of God's work and God's power for the common good. I think sometimes we get a bit caught up and we still get caught up and we have conversations with people, I want this, I want that, I wish we had that and that's never the point. The point is about what's for us. Because when we think about what's for us and how we can contribute to us, we're actually refreshed. We're actually renewed. But we've got to surrender. Because this content comes with some warning and some hope. We won't always get what we want. Rarely will we get what we want. (laughs) But we need to ask, what is it that I can do or who is it that I can be and how is it that I can serve and act and live that would encourage, build and strengthen this community? If we serve selfishly, if we're serving for recognition or reward or honour 
or to be welcomed into some kind of organisation, then we're going to be frustrated. We need to choose what we set our eyes, our hearts and our mind on and we need to, um, I guess, determine that we're going to bring a solution for the common good. And in the midst of all this, we need to choose what we worship because one of the dangers when we talk about gifts or unique shape is that we start pursuing the gifts and the idea of the gifts or, our, or the skills that we have is to point us to the one who gives them and creates them in us. And people can tend to, I want this and I want to have that and I wish I could do that. And again, we lose sight of what we're meant to do. We're meant to have this kind of way of life that's meant to point to the creator of life. We're meant to worship the giver, not the gift. There, um, Robin Sharma is a, an author and a motivational speaker. Uh, and he says the starting point of discovering who you are, your gifts, your talents, your dreams, is being comfortable with yourself. Spend time alone. Write in a journal. Take long walks in the woods. Now, I don't know. Take long walks along the highway. I don't know. If you can't find a wood. Take long walks. But I think it's got some great truth in it. So the greatest contribution we can actually bring to the community, the church is to live and serve out of relationship with God. But that means we have to know who we are. In him, through him, by him. In the midst of all these gifts and talents, and we're looking for ideas of significance, the reality is there's some stuff that just has to be done. Someone has to empty the bins. Because we all know what's going to happen. We can all imagine what happens if we don't empty the bins. If city council didn't empty the bins down the main street, would any of us take it upon ourselves to do it? No, because we paid rates. <laughs> they should empty our bins. There's just some things that have to be done. It's not a particularly skillful task. Sweeping floors, mopping floors, cleaning windows, keeping a tidy house, picking up after ourselves... There's just some things that we do because it contributes to community. Because we know that if we don't do them, it kind of makes a mess along the way. There's other things that maybe we just need to do and step into because, well, maybe I'm not particularly gifted at it and it's not my unique purpose, but hey, there's a gap there that I can fill. And they take some skills. And while there's a variety of tasks, some need more skill than others, some will need more attentiveness and interest than others. Pastor um, and author Erwin McManus says that if we become cultivators of the human talent, people will be drawn to our communities. And I think there's an enormous truth in that. But uh, uh, with a warning too, I think not only just of the human talent, we need to be cultivators of the human heart, of a human masterpiece that we so often lose sight on because we're so interested in what we can get out of people rather than what we're learning from and what we can put into one another. So if you're sitting here today, and I can already tell there are people arguing and saying, oh, I'm no masterpiece. You are. And you might not accept that. You'll be sitting there going, oh, Simon, what a lot of rubbish. 
That's okay. That's still the truth. That doesn't actually change the truth that you are at God's masterpiece. But the beauty of that is that God is still doing his work in you as he's still doing his work in me. We are a masterpiece for a relationship and we are a work in progress. In all of my prayers for you, for all of you, writes Paul, long, long time ago to the Philippian church, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, some of us will be uncomfortable because we are called, as we are called into new things and yet God is the great comforter. Some of us are feeling like we need to make a great deal of sacrifice or wondering if we can make a sacrifice and yet making the sacrifice brings the greatest reward because it lives, while it lives against the trends of society, it is the most enduring heart of life. The pain or the hardship of our past, the struggle of our past, the lessons of our past could be the promise, the warning or the healing in someone's present. What would it look like for us to be preparing, encouraging and building our lives to live out of relationship with God in such a way that we are transformed, our community is transformed in the name of Jesus? And it starts with coming to a place, thanks team, it starts with coming to a place where we say, Jesus, I want to give everything to follow you. That's where it's got to start. We can spend a lot of time being busy doing a lot of things, But if we really, truly want to live and discover our unique shape, we've got to come to a place where we say, I'm going to surrender everything that I complain about, everything that hasn't gone according to plan, everything that I think is wrong with my life, everything that I wish I had, everything that I'm pursuing, everything that I think I don't have or deserve and other people have got, I'm going to surrender it so that Jesus can craft me and mould me according to his purposes.